Watch the Game is brought to you by Milk is Weird. You can find everything on milkisweird.com. Coming up on this episode, we got Ryan Corbin on to talk some Bruins on NHL Trade Deadline Day. Ryan is the producer of Morning Brew with Jaffe and Razor. That's the Nesson Bruins podcast. We talked about the injuries to Taylor Hall, Nick Foligno, and Brad Marchand. We talked about the new guys on the team, and we finished it up with some Eastern Conference power rankings. After that, we have a segment with Chris and Henry, where we hashed it out on Jason Tatum. Happy 25th birthday to him. We covered the Bucks' 16-game win streak, and then closed it out with What's Bugging Henry about the MLB pitch clock. Interesting. Enjoy. All right, back here, watch the game, joined by Ryan Corbin. Ryan is the producer for uh, Morning Brew. It's the podcast, the Nesson-supported podcast now with Andrew Raycroft and Billy Jaffe. Uh, Bruins podcast, you can find that on Spotify. Anywhere you find Watch the Game, you'll find Morning Brew. Ryan, appreciate you joining us. How you doing? Great, man. How you, how you been? Been pretty good. Excited to talk some Bruins on the NHL trade Always. deadline day. Hoping to get yep. this pot out today, so hopefully all the listeners will be hearing it on NHL Trade Deadline Day. We're recording this uh, late Friday morning. So I wanted to start with if you have any injury updates on Taylor Hall, Nick Foligno, Brad Marchand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Don Sweeney talked to the media yesterday. Um, he kind of just echoed what you know we all kind of thought was going on. Um, no specific injuries, no timelines for Taylor Hall or for... Um, Nick Felino. I mean, it was pretty obvious for Felino that it was a knee. I mean, you saw that hit that uh, he took from Zadorov, um, who's a, a giant of a human being, and you kind of saw that knee flex inward. It didn't look great. Um, I mean, we, the word was after the game, uh, he was walking around kind of limping on his own power outside of the arena with no crutches or a brace. Um, I've been hearing maybe the contrary since they've returned to the bo- to Boston. Um, so it's really tough to say uh, what's going on with uh, Nick Foligno. I'd be shocked if if they brought him back before the playoffs. Um, Taylor Hall is a little bit more uh, iffy, I, I guess to say, because you had you know they were able to put him on LTIR, uh, get some cap relief uh, by by uh, burying his contract. Um, with that uh, cap mechanism, and that ultimately led them to being able to uh, acquiring Tyler Bertuzzi and squeezing him under the cap. Uh, to my understanding, um, it's not a far-fetched that that Taylor Hall could be back before the end of the regular season. Um, but once again, uh, as Don Sweeney said, there's no timeline. Um, they're going to let the doctors handle it. But, I mean, if there's any indication to what we saw earlier this season with you know charlie mcavoy and and uh brad marchand um you know those the doctors down there are miracle workers so yeah. it seems like every player comes back weeks ahead of their timeline so uh it's a hope for the best but i i think that they're well geared to handle these injuries they've got a pretty good cushion where they're at so um i guess it's just kind of wait and see what the what the doctors say yeah uh, last night in Buffalo, ended up getting the 7-1 to win, kind of blew it open second half of the third period. Uh, Brad Marchand did not finish the game. Um, I'm hearing that he might be good to go. Is Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, Mon- Monty said uh, after the game that it was more, you know, precautionary more than anything. Um, you know, it was hard to see really what the injury was with him because he didn't really take any contact other than when he got tangled up there in a, a little scuffle. Um I mean, there were some speculation that during that Calgary game, he got sliced by a skate um, that that uh, he had to have stitched up. So, you know, maybe one of those stitches popped and they just said, take the rest of the night off. Uh, but it, it doesn't sound like it's serious. But I mean, then again, that's what they said about Hall, too, before they sent him home. But yeah, um, exactly. from, what I'm, from what I'm hearing, it, it doesn't sound like it's too too uh serious and I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him suit up for the rangers game on saturday yeah if monty says that it's precautionary and the injury is not that bad they're out for the season but if don sweeney yeah, and the medical staff tell you that they're gonna you know be back in december they'll be back in october so we'll see yep, yep. <laughs> um so if either felino or hall or both are out let's say the rest of the regular season how big of a loss um is that is as those two guys i mean the I would say it's a, a pretty big loss, maybe more so in the locker room than than anything else. Because I mean, you get this Bertuzzi uh, trade going, and I mean, 
Tyler Bertuzzi is a fantastic player. He's had a little bit of a down year this year, but he's been injured in and out. I mean, this is a guy who scored 62 points in 68 games last year. He was the top winger for that Detroit team. Um, and then you have uh, Nick Felino, who's been playing a really good fourth-line role as a checker, and he's even chipping in on offense quite a bit. But what he brings to the locker room, really, you can't replicate. Um, you know, you, you saw him give that speech at, like, the Winter Classic and – you know, the team really seems to rally around him as almost like a pseudo-captain behind Patrice Bergeron. And yeah. he's, he's, he's been a captain in this league. So that's something that's going to be tough to replace with him up in the ninth floor. But, um, you know, it's going to be an opportunity for some other guys to, you know, grow into their role. And I think ultimately that's going to provide valuable depth once they hit the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. He, he is for sure a great locker room guy and you see him he's always one of the last ones out on the ice it's Bergeron dapping everybody up Bergeron's the last one off he's the captain but uh, Felino's always like that second or last one in line giving the goalie a hug before the goalie hug dapping yep. up Bergeron yep. he, he is definitely you can just tell um, he's a good locker room presence well Bergeron specifically brought him in it's like his friend yeah you know, like he, he specifically requested to get him here and it's clear why I mean they're definitely cut out of the same cloth it's definitely yeah. you know he takes some of the captain duties uh some of the burden off his shoulders I think yeah if, if Bergeron wants you then then Sweeney ought to do it because Bergeron, yeah, he, Bergeron gets that what Bergeron wants. exactly yeah. as he should <laughs> Um, I wanted to, if, can you compare Taylor Hall to Tyler Bertuzzi? Because so they trade away Craig Smith in the Orlov um, and Garnet Hathaway trade. Mm-hmm. Is Bertuzzi like just a update or, or sort of an upgrade for Craig Smith? And can you compare him to Taylor Hall um, in the case that maybe they're thinking if Hall's going to be out for a month or so, let's bring in Bertuzzi and sort of replace that production? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say he's a, a replacement per se, because uh, I mean Bertuzzi can also play both wings. Um, he's a natural left wing, so that's you know where he's most effective. But uh, I mean Taylor Hall, he's been utilized more so in in a checking role this year. Um, surprisingly, um, I mean him like that coil line that he's on, they get a lot of defensive zone starts. Um, so that they've been really going up against a lot of the other team's best offensive players. Um, and, and he's kind of been struggling a little bit on the offensive side. He's got a, a couple of, of assists over the last few games, but he's really been kind of snake bitten as far as goal scoring goes. Um, and I think that Bertuzzi really has this a different element to his game where he is he's a goal scorer, but he's also a sandpaper guy. And, you know, that's been one of the big critiques of the Bruins going into the playoffs the last few years is that they're, you know, too soft or, you know, they they get bullied around like once the uh, once the playoffs start. So they go ahead and bring in guys like Hathaway, like, you know, Bertuzzi um, or Lob can mix it up. You know, they they they've definitely added some grit and some toughness to this lineup, which I think they needed. So. That's a very, they're very different players, Bertuzzi and Hall are. Both are talented. Um, I think that once the whole lineup is healthy, it'll be interesting to see how they actually fit this together. Yeah. The other big acquisition, Dimitri Orlov, also got Garnet Hathaway. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about sort of how important those guys are going to be as they gear up for a playoff run? Obviously, Orlov's already been huge. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody had uh, Orlov for eight points in three games yeah, in their hockey bingo real. card. Like, yeah, I know I'd say that, that first game was probably pretty much a throwaway because him and him and Hathaway fly across the world to Vancouver, get off a plane and play a hockey game. So I don't really count that one, but I mean, in his first three games, he's got three goals, five assists. Like he had three goals in his first 48 games with the Capitals this year. (laughs) He had two in one period the other night. So I I just, if you just watch him, just the way that he, he moves the puck, the way, like he has such a good stick, both offensively and defensively. And that one timer, I mean, Jack Edwards last night says he's got a little Ovi in him. I know, I, like, I, I love that. <laughs> I mean, but they it's interesting that they've had such a short amount of time with him and they've already got him on that flank position on the power play for the one-timer on that one side. And what that's going to do is take a ton of pressure off of David Pasternak because at all times, depending on which power play units out there, you're going to have to be watching for that nasty one-timer right on the flank of the net. So I think that it goes – multiple levels with how good of a defender he is, how nasty of an open high, open ice hitter that he is. And he's he's got some good hands. I mean, we saw that on that uh, overtime goal against the Flames where he was, I think, no, it wasn't the Flames. It was the uh, goal to Pavel Zaka. I think maybe against Edmonton it was. 
like just he's he's sick. He he looks like a smaller version of Hampus Lindholm to me. And and the most impressive thing is that you have three of these guys. You have you have Charlie McAvoy, Hampus Lindholm, and Orlov. That means there's not going to be a single second of ice time where you don't have one of those guys on the ice during a game. That's just that's sick. Like, yeah. How do you play against that? Right. Definitely. Yeah. I think it speaks a little bit to Montgomery too, right? Like. These guys come in here and you, you make the move from Cassidy to Montgomery and the offense just seems to open up. And it's a lot of the same guys. They haven't made, obviously, the trades this year at the deadline, but like the team last year to this year, pretty much similar. They were good last year. They weren't anywhere near what they are this year. And you just see like with Montgomery, the freedom that they play with saying to the defense, like, hey, if you want to come up, take a shot, like put them in positions to be offensive type defensemen. And I mm-hmm. think we've just seen the results. And I liked Cassidy, but... I think you have to look back. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you look back and you say, it's a good move. Monty works with his team. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like hockey especially. In most sports, every coach has a, a shelf life. But, yeah. I mean, even in, even in hockey, you see, like, some of the best coaches, they just, you know, the message gets stale and the players want to do something different. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, most of the back end is, is pretty similar before the trade deadline to what it was last year. They just scored their 31st goal by a defenseman last night which ties the amount of defensemen goals they had all season last year. And there's still over 20 games left. Right. So yeah, they're, they're getting, they're getting offense from everywhere all over the ice. It's pretty incredible how much depth they, they have for traditionally we've been complaining that they're a one line team. That is certainly not the case. You're getting goals from Lena Solmark this year. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. I, I was hoping uh Bergie would have dished it to Swayman last night for the empty net, but Huh. Hey, that's probably why he let that one in so he could get the uh, empty net again, get yeah. another chance at it. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I, I saw the guy celebrating with him after Bergeron's goal, and Bergeron was skating over to the bench, and I, I saw him and say something to the other guys. And I, <laughs> I'm assuming that's what they were talking about. Um, yeah, you might have got the assist for it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, with Orlov in, they have what seems like seven D-men who've played regular minutes. I'm curious, whose minutes do you think take the big hit? I'm assuming it's either Forbert or Grizzlick. Um, but they have seven guys that you can be confident, I feel like, putting in that. Yeah, it's. I think it's all going to be matchup-based, really. Like, do you have a heavy team? Do you have a fast team? Because um, both of those guys bring something to the table that are, are special skill sets. Like, uh, Grizzlick, he's one of the elite puck movers in the NHL. He's just not a big guy. I think he's five foot nine is what he's listed at. And, I mean, you've seen in playoffs previous that – over the course of like four rounds, he's not going to be able to hold up in the corners. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, while he's such a good puck mover, Forbert is your best penalty killer probably. Um, but that's also, you know, in the playoffs, they kind of swallow the whistles a little bit. So how much, you know, I think it's kind of going to be dictated by the type of series that they're playing. And I think that's right now why you're seeing a rotation so much every night, somebody a different sitting. So I think Monty's trying to figure out who he has and like what situations he can play them in. Um, but I think it's fair to say that, you know, you're going to be seeing McAvoy, Lindholm, Orlov, uh, Carlo. And then that last pair is up, you know, it could be maybe it's a checking night. You need uh, Cliffy Forbort. Yep. Maybe it's a puck moving night. You know, and then you still got guys like you know Zaboral and Strowman for depth. Yep. Um, they're in a real good spot for defense right now. So I think they have the luxury of of kind of picking and choosing their spots depending on their opponent and how the you know the heat heat of the series is. It's a good problem to have. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, last thing for you, I. I'm curious about what you think about the NHL power rankings going through the deadline here. Um, If you want to keep it to Eastern Conference, that's fine. I I think for me, it's Carolina, Toronto, uh, New York, and obviously Boston at the top. I'm curious, after the Rangers make the big trade for Kane, other teams make some moves, what do you think the power rankings with those three teams shake out as? And the Lightning still scare me. I know they're not the team that they were yeah. say a couple years ago, but I just feel like they've been there, done that. They still have a lot of the same guys. They still have the top level veteran leadership. They, they can be that sort of grinded out team in the playoffs when they need to be, but they also have the skills. So they still scare me, but I feel like top five in the East it's Bruins in, in no particular order, but Bruins at the top and then Carolina, Toronto, New York now with Kane and Tampa. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you think that shakes out. Yeah, obviously I'm going to put the Bruins at the top. Um, I'm going to put Carolina behind them. Uh, just because of the 
I don't know if it's maybe just like my Bruins goggles I'm wearing, but they they scare me more than any other team in the playoff field. Just just because of the style that they play, and traditionally it's you know giving the Bruins a tough time with that grinded out you know in your face style. But that's exactly why they made the trades that they just made. So I'm excited to see if we can play them again with you know Hathaway and Bertuzzi and, and you know the full lineup because it's definitely going to be a gritty type of game. Um, but I would go probably Bruins, Carolina. I'm going to put Rangers after that with uh, the, the acquisitions of Tarasenko, who scored a disgusting goal last night. Um, and then probably I'm going to I'm going to go with Tampa. They still have Vasilevsky. I mean, like, he can get hot and steal around for you. Yep. Um, and I don't, I don't think any of the other teams, except for maybe the Bruins, have a, a goaltender that can match that. And then I'm going to put Toronto fifth. Actually, I might put New Jersey over Toronto, to be really? honest with you. I might, yeah. Timo Meyer, I think, makes them a lot better. They're really young and talented up front. They've got some good D. Um, I just don't trust Toronto's defense or their goaltending. I, That's I fair. don't at all. Their their goaltending is probably C C at best. Um, I do like their acquisitions a lot. They they did add quite a bit to their back end. They they added uh, McCabe, uh, Luke Shen, um, Brian O'Reilly. He scares the hell out of me yeah. because of what he did in 2019. Yep. Um, and then our old pal Nola Um You know, so they they added some good good tough pieces. I just I don't I could see them losing on a couple leakers. I don't. So and then as far as the West goes, I you know. I don't see any of the don't make any mistake. The best six teams in the league are all in the East. Um, I'm thinking probably the, the Western conference finals will probably come down to like Vegas and Dallas. That's my guess. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, but the Canes, they, they scare me. That's yeah. going to be a tough one. Yeah. You think Colorado gets back into it? If they get healthy, I mean, they still got all the, you know, the, the wagons to do it, but it's just a matter of getting healthy. Their goaltending is not anything to write home about either. But you got McKinnon, so yeah, anything can happen. <laughs> yeah, McKinnon, you have a chance. Uh, yep. Last question that I kind of just want to add in here: Would you take in the Eastern Conference just to get to the Stanley Cup Finals? Would you take the Bruins of the field? I'm taking the Bruins. Yeah, I think. Think about their record right now. They're they're 48, eight and five. So you're gonna need one of those teams that we just mentioned to beat them four times in the span of 12 days. Yeah, but uh, where who's gonna do that? Who's going to beat this team four times? The only thing the only thing that scares me is, and I forget what year, it must have been 2018, 2019, that Tampa was a wagon too. Maybe not quite to this point, but yeah. pretty close. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Sergei Bobrovsky got hot for Columbus. Like, yeah. he yeah. completely stole that series for them. Yeah, that can happen. That it can, happen. but I, don't, I mean, maybe Tampa could do it. But I just, I think this team is still like miles above that team like they're now they're they are the fastest team in nhl history to 100 points like that's i just we've done 41 episodes of morning brew this season so far and we do not have any more superlatives to say about this, team. Like, it's <laughs> this just, is it wrap it up wrap it, the pot up it, yeah we've, we've been at the word ridiculous for two months now like we yeah. just yeah so you know let's hope for the best i would say the at this point, if they don't win the Stanley Cup, it's either injuries or they can they cannot blame anything but themselves. Yeah. They're already in the position. Don gave them some more horses, so now they just got to go get it done. I think I would be the most disappointed I've ever been for a, a Boston team if they didn't win this year. Like this is it. They're just they're, they're oh, yeah. that good. Yeah, I've never seen anything like this before. Like it's just and no matter even like last night, it's like a perfect. This team just finds ways to like find the smallest grain of momentum, and then they just explode. Like it was was it a one or two goal game in the third period, and they just score five goals in like five minutes. Like, yeah, even in Calgary, they get outshot like eighty to two, and they yeah yeah yeah, the uh, yeah um, fifty fifty six saves or fifty four saves. It's just yeah. the night after scoring a goal, like it's just that's like the cherry on the Vesna cake right there. Yeah, if you're, if you're a betting man, you you uh, want to take some Vesna odds. I put my life savings on, on Did, Lena Stolmark right now. For real. Did you see this coming at all? Because I didn't really. I, I mean, they, they brought him in for last year to be with Swayman and sort of platoon it. And it worked out. Like, he was he was fine last year. But I I thought last year, honestly, he was more of a big body that got in the way. And, you know, he was he was good. But he wasn't, like, crazy athletic or anything. Mm-hmm. This, this year, he's just, like, unbelievable. He's, he's so athletic. 
We had a, a, a listener ask a question that we took on Morning Brew to Andrew Raycroft. Um, like if he saw any influences uh, from Goalie Bob in uh, Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman's game. And he basically said that their body control is Tuka Rask-like. Like they both look like Tuka Rasks out there. Um, which if you really watch them, like you'll never see them with two pads outside of the crease anymore. Like they're always hugged to one of the two posts. Like they're – both of them are just on top of their game. Like it's it's really fun to watch. Both of them are top end starters in this league. All right, boys, back here. Watch the game. Adam Reset, Chris Robert, Henry Finch. Uh, Chris, what are you drinking today? You got something fancy? Polar. I'm a big Celtic guy because I I like to drink soda, but I try not to drink too much soda. I, like I mean, that. I drink Coke Zero, so it's not really soda. It's just chemical water. Um, Amen. But I've tried, I tried all the flavors. This vanilla one, and they got an orange vanilla one. It it, it takes, it tastes like a creamsicle or like a cream Ooh. soda. This tastes like a cream soda. I mean, obviously not exactly because it doesn't have the sweetness, but it kills my craving of cracking open a cra- a Coke Zero because I'm an. Addict. You a cre- you a creamsicle fan? Kind of. I'm a Coke addict though. Mm. I mean, and are you a big creamsicle guy? I love creamsicles. I love a creamsicle. You, you want to know the best creamsicle I've ever had? And Chris, you'll like this. The Bronx Zoo. Really? Yeah. I, I wow. know. I know it's weird, but every every year from when I was like five to twelve, we would go to the Bronx Zoo just to get these creamsicles. <laughs> you would go to the go to the Bronx Zoo from Philly just to get a creamsicle. I love yes. it. Yes. <laughs> and it was worth it. It was a hundred percent worth it. Uh, so we're going to talk about Jason Tatum today. It's his birthday tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday night, and it is JT's birthday tomorrow. He's going to be 25, so happy birthday to Jason Tatum. I want to talk about him in relation to other players, him in relation to the league. I think we he gets a lot of criticism. He gets a lot of love. We hear all of it. He's an NBA star player. He's a, he's a talked-about guy, especially in Boston. And I want to hear... Your takes, Henry. I know you're a bit of a Boston fan. You're also a Philly fan, Chris. You're certainly not a Boston fan, but I, I'm a Boston fan. So sometimes I think that we get into our own heads and we get into a little bit more of a critical mindset as a fan of the home team, and we criticize home team players more so than we would if we weren't a home, weren't like a supporter of that team. Like I think so, Henry. I bet you're you might be more critical of Embiid. Than say, me or Chris, You're, you mm-hmm. probably have stuff to nitpick with Embiid. Whereas when Embiid comes to Boston or New York, New York, me and Chris are like, holy shit! Like this guy's unbelievable. This guy's dominating. <laughs> yep. Like I wish I had that guy. But you see him so much more that you sort of have those takes on him. Yeah, the nitty gritties. So I think I have that with Tatum. On the other hand, I really do appreciate what Tatum does. I think he's a phenomenal player. I've heard people in the last couple of days give takes. I, I think it was Sean Grandy. He's the radio voice of the Boston Celtics. And he was saying that Jason Tatum has a top five resume all time for players under 25, which is a little bit of a hot take, but I don't think it's super far-fetched. And I went back and I compared to other players and you go back and, you know, people compare him to Kobe Bryant a little bit just because he's such a Kobe fan and he he loves that. He talks about Kobe all the time, the all-star game MVP. He loves Kobe. The scoring in the NBA has gone up so much. And we're kind of in a bit of a scoring boom here that I don't know if you can compare. Like, I wouldn't compare Tatum to Wilt Chamberlain because Wilt Chamberlain played in a time when they wore, like, short shorts and friggin' belts and Converse. And he, like, no disrespect to Wilt Chamberlain, he was out there absolutely dominating, scoring 50 points a game, which is unbelievable. He was playing but against engineers and electricians. No, that's, and that's a fact. That's what he was playing against. And that's why I don't... It, it's tough to compare errors. Like, could you, could you p- compare... Uh, Chamberlain to Michael Jordan to Jason Tatum, you could, but it probably wouldn't be great, especially in the stat column. Just like, I don't know, in the sense that points per game changes so much. I mean, Wilt scoring 50 was crazy, but it was in 1970. And, you know, Michael Jordan scoring 37 was insane in whenever he did it, 86. But if Michael Jordan was playing today, maybe he's dropping 40. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. it's just different hours. But I want to go back to the the Sean Grandy take. Can you compare to Tatum to other players in the league now and also careers of guys like, I don't know, LeBron and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and just those timelines? And, and if we overappreciate or underappreciate Tatum for what he is turning 25. 
You know, it's interesting because when you say he has a top five, what was the word you use? Like resume or whatever? Yeah, I think he said top five resume under 25. Yeah. it's Because when you think about resume, whatever, even in sports, you think about like, okay, like hard numbers, statistics, like things you can count. And when you look at he does, you know, he, he doesn't have a championship. He doesn't have an MVP. He doesn't have a defensive player of the year, which is um, so immediately I get what you're saying. It's kind of like a what the heck. But then you look at how well he's played. Uh, it's a hot take, but I, I understand it. I, I, I think it's a it is a hot take, but I don't think it's an, an intelligent take to make. Because I, I, like Henry said, in order to be an all-time, this game has been around for a long time. So to put this kid, well, not kid, he's older than us, but to put this guy up there uh, with a Will Chamberlain, like even though we're cross-referencing eras, but like a Will Chamberlain, a Kobe, a Michael Jordan, a LeBron, a Giannis, I feel like is a stretch. Because for me, I'm very big on like, you got to give me something. Some piece of hardware, you got to show me something. Like, you dropping 30 points a game and seven rebounds is cool. But, like, give me a defensive player of the year. Give me an MVP. Give me a most improved. Give me a, a something. Give me something. Giannis has given us two MVPs. He's given us two defensive player of the years. He's given us a championship. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure he got the he got one championship, one MVP, and one defensive player of the year before he turned 25. LeBron, I'm pretty sure, gave, he gave his rookie of the year. And then Kobe, I'm pretty sure one rookie. He won, you have to give me something. He hasn't given me anything, but it's also hard for me because you're uh, for me whenever I hear Jason Tatum in comparison of like young players in our league who are phenomenal, the first person I think of is Giannis, which is kind of mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's an unfair comparison because I feel like they're up in the same level of elite NBA stars, but Giannis has done so much more before he turned 25. Yeah, I think this year and coming into this year, I was saying it. This is Jason Tatum's sixth year in the NBA. Really? And I think, I, yeah, six already, right? It goes fast. Oh, fuck. So Giannis won his first MVP, I'm pretty sure, in his sixth year. Jokic won his first MVP in his sixth year. And so we've seen in the past, these guys that get to these absolutely elite levels often make a big jump in year six. I want to say it was year six or seven for Curry. Let me see. I have his stats up. One, two, three, like four, five, six. Because I remember it was his co- seventh year. A couple years, I was like, "What?" Well, like he came out of nowhere for me, Curry. Yeah, in twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, he was good before that. Yeah, you know but when he I became Steph Curry. You know when I I noticed that this guy was good is when he dropped whatever he dropped on the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, where the fuck did this guy come from? <laughs> you know, we compare Jason Tatum to these other guys right now. And Giannis is a good one. I think Durant's a good one, too. I think the play style between him and Durant is a little bit more similar than him and Giannis. Yes. Um, Durant came out of the gates on fire. I mean, he I'm pretty sure he averaged 30 points a game his third season. And he was a one-and-done from Texas. So, I mean, Durant's just unbelievable. But Giannis, Jokic, Curry, it's, it's year six and seven that these guys usually make that jump to, okay, this guy's unbelievable, like MVP level. Is Tatum at that level right now? I don't think so. And I was saying this to somebody the other day. I think Tatum this season is one notch below elite. And when I say elite, I mean the best of the best. Mm -hmm. I mean Nikola Jokic and Giannis and that level of greatness. I think he's one step Mm -hmm. below that. I think the more interesting question is, will he get there? Will he ever get to where Giannis, Jokic, those guys are right now? Which is like, no question, in the MVP conversation every year, will he get there? I lean, maybe not quite. Because, and this is where the Durant thing comes back to be a better comparison. Gian, I mean, uh, Tatum doesn't do what Jokic and Giannis do. Giannis is seven feet tall. Jokic is seven feet tall. Jokic is one of the best passers in the world, maybe the best passer in the league. He averages a triple-double. Giannis averages double-figure rebounds for his entire career. Tatum doesn't fill up the box score like those guys. Giannis could win Defensive Player of the Year. Like Giannis, he's in the paint, he's getting blocks. So these guys do so many things well. What I do think Tatum can be the best at the best at, best of the best at, is scoring. Mm-hmm. I think he could be the best mm-hmm. scorer in the league. He's he's 24, going on 25 tomorrow. Today, if you're listening to this, happy birthday. Um, 
and he's scoring 30.3 points a game. Mm-hmm. Could he average 35 sometime in his career? I'm going to say not because he can't, but I feel like I don't think it's just he's in his mind is going to be like, I'm going out there trying to get 40 every game. I feel like he's I think he's willing compared to like Jalen Brown to pass the ball, even though he knows he can score. He knows he's he's very skilled. I feel like he doesn't have an issue passing the ball to his teammates. He doesn't have that tunnel vision. So I don't think he's going to want to score 40 or 37 or 35. I mean, if he does and they win and they're successful and the team is happy, then sure. But. I don't know. I think the bigger question, the I've had, you know, basketball people, real basketball fans, real basketball people tell me that they don't think Tatum is quote unquote clutch. I find that ridiculous. Chris, you're nodding your head. Henry, you're shaking your head. I, I think that's ridiculous. He he's going on 25 years old and he's already had so many of these moments where he had the buzzer beater against the Knicks, Chris. Henry, we just came off that absolutely phenomenal game against Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Buzzer beater or borderline so against yeah. Philadelphia to and he wasn't very good in that game but in the fourth yeah. quarter he was good he did what he had to do he made the right play and then last shot of the game when they need him hits a big three the only thing is when he got to the finals last year and he he wasn't great he turned the ball over he didn't score a ton but that's what they're looking at I don't think they're looking at the regular season but what what is one seat I mean I'm not saying I agree with them series. I'm just saying because it, it's at the end of the day, if you want to be the best, you're going to be looked at in the highest moments. And in the highest moments, if you continue to like, I'm not going to say fail, but if you continue to play slightly below what they're expecting you to play, that they're going to look at you different. Like for me, we've had this discussion on on third take. Shout out to the old show. Um, my thing with Tatum is, yes, you're one of the best players in the league. And you said it. I can't put him up with a, a Jokic and a Giannis or a prime LeBron. I can't have you score 40 in game one and then score 13 in game two. Like that, I just can't have that from you. And then score 18 in the game after that. And then you come back and score 40 again. Like I need you. I'd rather take 25 every game than you give me 40, then 13, then 18, then 20, then 30, then 15, then 18. I just, you need to be consistent. And I think he's not as consistent as you would want your star to be. Like if you, you can count on Jokic and Giannis every night to give you what they're going to give you. I agree with that, but I, I think the difference for me is that when I think of clutch, I don't think of clutch for me. You don't have a clutch game. You have a clutch moment. You have a clutch, maybe a clutch quarter, if that. But clutch is a moment, and he's shown in those moments. So, yes, I agree. He did not step up in the finals when we needed him. But that's that's something different from being clutch, I think. I think it's being able to hit the shot when it matters, not being able to for 48 minutes, play a dominant game, which is something that consistently, which is something that he needs to work on. I think the whole clutch conversation is, you know, it could be a bigger conversation. I I think luck plays into clutch a lot more than people would think. I think you can have a, you can be a clutch performer. You can have like a clutch mindset. And most of that is just confidence. And, you know, I think the best athletes in the world mostly are, incredibly confident in what they can do and i think the best quote-unquote clutch performers are just the guys who really really want that last shot they want to take it they're okay with missing it they're confident in the fact that they are going to hit it even if they don't i think tatum is that so whether he hits it or not like maybe he maybe he missed the shot and it's like okay we look at this one shot as, as it's like this whole other thing, like the, the shot to win the game is like this whole other different thing. But maybe he just missed that shot. That doesn't mean he's not clutch because he wants that. And, and I have full faith that Jason Tatum wants those shots, that he will take those shots, and that he's confident in the fact that he will make those shots. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm looking for. It's, it's funny you say that, though, because the perfect example of the opposite is LeBron. People say LeBron is not clutch because LeBron is so open to passing the ball in those big moments. Like, if he sees his teammate wide open and there's two people on him, he does not mind passing the ball. And then people will be like, why would you pass the ball? You're LeBron James. You're supposed to take those shots. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. But it's like he wants to pass it, and therefore he's got this, like, stigma that he's not clutch. Yeah, I don't know if clutch is the 
is the end all be all, or even it's really just not the most important thing to me nope. when I'm looking at, you know, the level of a basketball player is, is Nikola Jokic clutch because he's like, Oh, he's not clutch. Cause he's given the shot to Jamal Murray. Like, no, that's what Jokic said. That's why he's so good. He's averaging probably 28. I'm not even looking at the stats, probably 28, 10 and 10. 11 and 10. Mm-hmm. He's just an unbelievable basketball player. And whether that's his game or not, like, just because he didn't take that last shot doesn't mean I'm going to look at him and be like, oh, no, I, you know, this guy's not clutch. I don't like this guy. I think that's just a stupid argument. Okay, so, Henry, I have a question for you specifically. Chris, if you want to answer it, we can all answer it. But it's for Henry because it's a it's a Philly question. It's a Joel Embiid question in comparison to Tatum. Mm-hmm. If you were a GM and you were starting an NBA team today, who are you taking in the draft first? I know we just did the draft, but you didn't get a chance to take – Embiid, you did end up taking Tatum. Embiid was already off the board. Who would you take if you had the opportunity to take both those guys? If I was building a team around them, I'd take yeah. Tatum. I'd take Tatum. I think he's more versatile in who he can play with and what he can do. Um, and I mean, I know this probably isn't the point of your question, but Embiid's injuries worry me. That That's one thing. That, that's also another thing that I feel like it's actually maybe is an important part that with Tatum really hasn't had a lot of long-term injuries that we've had to worry Incredibly about. Incredibly durable. And that's huge. Um, Embiid, that is not the case. So, yeah, I, I'd go for Tatum over Embiid if I'm starting a team, yeah. I agree. What do you think, Chris? I, I would agree. I don't yeah. think it's a, uh, the difficult question. I think Embiid's a more dominant yes. player. Mm-hmm. You watch Embiid... I mean, I watched him in the in the Philly Boston game a few nights ago, which was just an awesome game from start yeah, to finish. I wish I would have. I wish I would have watched it. It was a great game, uh, but Embiid is just like in there. I mean, what do you have, Henry? Forty? I I think if I want to say forty one, but yeah, forty something. Was, they just give it to him in the paint, and he's mm-hmm. just like plowing through people. They call a foul every time. It's so frustrating. He went, he yeah. must have gone to the line twenty times. I hate this. I hate this question. And I know we we're crunched on time. How much do you think the NBA evolving into a smaller lineup of impacts Joel Embiid's dominance? Obviously, you see it. He's able to dominate more. Do you think he would be less dominant if we would have stood in an era of basketball where there was a traditional seven footer on every floor and maybe a six ten power forward? Versus a six nine or six ten center and like a six eight six seven power forward. Maybe he'd be less dominant, but I think he'd be more appreciated because I don't think what we would see from him. I don't think he would be a worse player. I think we would be more appreciative of what he's doing because it would be. I think he could do this same thing against, you know, the big guys from you know early two thousands that he's doing now. Um, but you know. Right now, right, he's doing it against six nine Bam Adebayo, so yeah. it is a little like, but no, I, I think, I, I think he would have, be more. He, I think he would be absolutely more appreciated if there were more big men instead of this smaller league that we see. All right, back here, watch the game here, talking about the Bucks win streak. It's at sixteen now, boys. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, which is crazy. Uh, yep. The all time NBA record for wins in a row is 33 that was set in 1972 by the lakers and that was like i'm pretty sure that was wilt and elgin baylor and like jerry west and those guys my question is is that the most impressive or is that the most unbreakable record in the nba of all the records like the scoring record is i believe also wilt chamberlain Mm -hmm. he scored 50 points a game 50 is it more likely that a team from now into the infinite future in the nba wins more than 33 games or has a player that averages 50 plus i think it's more likely they win 33 games mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think so i don't think it's an easy answer though i think it's harder than you than we think yeah i I think you're probably right right because i mean you hear you average 50 points a game that is ridiculous but then when you really think about what it takes to win 33 games in a row that's almost half the season 
but I still think there's a better chance someone wins 33 than averages 50. I just don't see anybody in the near future at all winning 33 games in a row. And I see scoring averages going up and up and up every year. So I'm like, what if James Harden, what if 20, I don't know, 18 James Harden played in 2080? Is he like, is he putting up 50? Right. Because there will come along a guy that the guy that averages 50 is not in the league right now. I don't think the guy that averages 40 is in the league right now. But there will be a guy in our lifetime that averages 40. I believe that. Oh, 40? That's, I don't think yeah. – fi- yeah, 50, no. I don't think it's ever going to happen again. As long as we're alive, I should say. As long as we're alive. Because to me, forever – How long, long you planning on living? Hey, as long as God wants to keep me here. I mean, I don't know <laughs> what type of good I've done on this earth, but I'm pleading a case. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I, think, I think god's coming for me yes adam might not be here much longer <laughs> yeah i don't know i think they're both two insane records i mean will played in just a totally different era like 1960 and 70 was just so different and the 80s were different too but michael jordan averaged 37 points a game in i think it was 86 which is more than I mean, that's that's the record after Wilt. So that's more than James Harden or Kobe or any of these guys that are just like ridiculous scorers. So if if Jordan can score 37 per game in 1986, there will come along a guy that's going to score at least 40. I don't think that guy's in the league right now, but there will be. I mean, Michael Jordan is not a one-off thing. There will be another Michael Jordan. You think so? I think so. You think there will be another LeBron? Yep. Another Curry? Especially another Curry. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially another yeah. Curry. The way yeah. that the game is changing. Yeah, and, and I respect Curry more than anybody. I think Curry mm-hmm. is my favorite athlete, period, to watch you do his thing. Remember? Like, athlete. We never spoke about it. A little behind, behind the scenes. One of our topics for one of our shows was was supposed to be we never talked about it what player do you find most influential in all sports right now and i was gonna say steph curry that was my pick for that topic but we never got to it yeah i would agree Mm -hmm. i would agree you know it's funny i was listening to a podcast the other day maybe it wasn't the other day it was it was a few weeks ago and they were talking about stats and what are the most unbelievable, like what, what stat in all of sports amazes you the most? And so you look at like the 33 wins in a row by the Lakers. You look at 50 points a game by Wilt Chamberlain. And then somebody on the podcast, I forget who it was, but it's so true. The most amazing stat in all of sports is, un- for me anyway, is unquestionably Wayne Gretzky. Because Wayne Gretzky has the most points ever. In the NHL. That's goals and assists. Mm-hmm. And if Wayne, he also has the most goals of all time individually and the most assists of all time individually. And so obviously he has the most total points. And if Wayne Gretzky had never scored a single goal in his entire NHL career, he would still have the most points in NHL history. That's <laughs> based unbelievable. Based off assists? Based off just assists, he what has the guy. most goals of all time. And if he had never scored a goal, he'd still have the most points. That's ridiculous. <laughs> How did that happen? That's pretty insane. I don't know. I wasn't there. I wish I was there. But I wish I was there too. That's that's like yeah. some different level type of stuff. I feel like that's the type of play that will get somebody into hockey. Like I'm not really into my brother's mm, into hockey yeah. more than I am. But if I was to see a guy like that, I would definitely have to be like invested chris watch mcdavid who he's the closest thing we got Connor McDavid. oh question McDavid. the rangers just traded for some guy named kane is that good <laughs> some guy named kane <laughs> says <laughs> we're doing it we're doing a segment with not we me uh for this podcast we're doing a segment with ryan corbin who is an old friend from third take but also the producer of morning brew with jaffe and razor it's the nesson podcast for the bruins and so we're gonna have him on and and cut that segment into this podcast but yeah, Kane. some guy named Kane, Chris. That's that's. Funny. It's not a Vander Kane. It's some other Kane. It's not a Vander Kane. It's Patrick Kane. No, much better than a Vander Kane, actually. 
uh, could be the best American-born player of all time, Chris. Yeah. But if you want to get, if you want Wayne Gretzky part two, probably not quite to the same level, but Connor McDavid. He is, if you know nothing about hockey, Connor McDavid is like the LeBron of hockey. Watch some Oilers games, Chris. He will not let you down. Oilers. I watched their playoff game last year because during during graduation was the NHL playoff week that like week, and my brother had every game on. And he was like forcing me to watch it with him, and I was like into it. I'm like, oh shit, this is lit. I'm like, shit, you right. like this back and forth, <laughs> right? They got another guy, Leon Dreisaitl. He is second. Uh, McDavid is first in the NHL in points every year. He's just unreal. And but his teammate Leon Dreisaitl is always second in the NHL in points. So well, that draft, top line is... He was drafted first overall. overall. Well, that's a, that's a good pick in my book. Yeah, that's a good pick, Chris. All right, we're going to take one more break. We'll come back, talk a few minutes about the MLB. Henry's got an MLB take. It's an interesting one. Stay with us. <laughs> All right, watch the game back here. One final segment. Uh, Henry has... So we were trying to figure out you know, what we wanted to, to talk about today. And Henry said he has a take about the MLB rule changes. And the only big MLB rule change that I know about that has gotten a lot of press is the pitch clock. And Henry has what I would say is a hot take about the pitch clock. So Henry, I'm just going to give the floor to you. I hate it. I fucking hate it. It's ruining the game of baseball. Wow. Baseball. Have you, I don't know if you've seen these stats like about the spring training games, but they're being played in two hours and 14 minutes. That's disgusting. Baseball is not meant to be played that quickly. Chris, I'm sure you saw today that that Yankees pitcher literally struck out a guy in under 20 seconds. That's how long the at-bat <laughs> took. Good, was under Wandy, 20 seconds. Wandy Peralta, I love him. I hate, like, I get wanting to change up the pace of play, but it's pitching so fast that I think I think it's changing the game completely. It's taking I, so much of the mental aspect out of the game. I My thing is I think the clock is too... What is it at right now? 15? 20 seconds? It's, yeah, I, it's stupid. It's like it counts down from 20, but then you have to pitch it by the time it says 8, so I don't understand what the point of it. But yes, it's yeah. you have essentially 15 seconds to pitch. I, I, I feel like it has to be 20. Yeah. If, if the pitcher throws to first, does it reset? Yes. I believe so, but that's a good question. But I think next so year, if they're running if, out of time, they should just like start ripping it to first and be no, like, no, but, reset, but reset. Next, then they'd really get booed. Starting next year, they're they're implementing mm-hmm. a, the amount of times you can throw over the first consecutively. Yeah, which is also stupid because then as yeah, a runner, you like just gotta one. you just gotta wait out the amount of throws, and you can take and, as big a lead as you want. And yeah, then with tough. the bigger bases, with the pitch clock, now with the pitch clock, runners is easier for runners to time the pitch and steal bases and with the bigger bases it will take less for you to get to the base mm-hmm. you, so it's they want the game to be more athletic they want the game to be more fast me i don't i don't mind a three-hour baseball game like that's just me like i i don't mind sitting at a stadium for three four hours watching baseball maybe i'm just like an old soul but i get i get it they're trying to Apple TV. They're trying to Amazon Prime. They're trying to speed up the game. Athletic. They're trying to take out the shift so you can have more athletic plays. They're trying to increase the amount of home runs that are being hit. Like I get it, but I think they you got you got to give pitchers a little bit more time. And and that mm-hmm. Wandy Peralta example that you gave, it, it's a bad example because Wandy pitches like that. He always pitched like that. He's like, as soon as he gets the ball from the pitcher, he's like, he's just like, he's already ready to throw. And like, people kind of hate him because he's being an asshole. He's being a douche. And he kind of like quick pitches you. <laughs> but on top of him already pitching fast and you giving him a timer. So he has more incentive to pitch even faster. It's just, I don't know. Hitting is hard. Hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things to do. If not the, I think in my opinion, is the hardest thing to do in all professional sports is hitting a baseball. So when you give a pitcher already a 97 mile an hour fastball, you're giving them a, 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 a the advantage in time of just like being able to to speed you up as a hitter. Then I just it, they're making it harder for the hitter, mm-hmm. and it's not fair. But it is what it is. I think it depends on who's pitching. 
to say hitting a baseball is the hardest thing in sports. Chris, if you're <laughs> pitching and I'm hitting, I am absolutely raking. You will not touch a ball. <laughs> oh, is that a challenge? Oh, buddy, come on. You're so not. That, you're that not, like a you're not to touching me. a ball. Chris, that sounds like a challenge. I'm gonna mm-hmm. throw. I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw you one up and in. So we know Henry spec. can catch. We know Henry <laughs> can catch. I got you. He might have no knees for the next week, but he can catch. <laughs> he can catch a mean ball. Mm-hmm. This summer, we're testing this it summer? out. We're, we're all shipping up to Boston. We're testing it out. I'm, yep. I might go to Boston, Adam, St. Paddy's weekend. I want to have beer with I, it's Germans and Irish. Irish shit. Irish Germans. <laughs> oh my, <God. laughs> my bad. Wow. I want to have beer with Irish, Irish people. That one hurts. Sorry. Are you Irish at all, Henry? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like half Irish. Okay, yeah. I thought you. I thought he was asking me if I'm Irish. I'm like, you know, I'm not <laughs> fucking Irish. <laughs> Are you Irish, Chris? Like, no. Chris, that beautiful uh, head of red hair you got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me get one word in on the pitch clock. I don't know how the implementation is going to look yet because we haven't seen real games, mm-hmm. real. Regular season, playoff, MLB games with the pitch clock. So the implementation I cannot speak to. But something's got to happen. The game is, whether we like it or not, as like baseball fans and sports fans, is relevant, but not the only thing you have to think about. Baseball is, I mean, three and a half hours, four hours, these games that just go on and on and on forever. It's not palatable enough to survive in this environment i mean if you i've said i've said this exact same thing before and it may have come off as a joke but it's really like fairly accurate the demographic of baseball in 2023 is 65 to dead so (laughs) yeah like if you want the game to survive and you want the game to be palatable to a a larger audience of people something's got to change whether the implementation is good or not we'll see but these games cannot just drag on forever because i agree with you chris what you said you said that you're fine going to a ballpark and sitting there for three and a half hours yeah i think a lot of people are fine going to the ballpark and sitting there for three and a half hours but there's 162 games in a season you're not going to every game not everybody's a season ticket holder right so if you're just watching it on tv and a lot of these money is coming from the ratings it is something you know it can't just drag on forever all right, that's going to do it for this one. Thanks to Chris, Henry, and Ryan for coming on. Thanks to everyone who's listened to this point. And if you haven't checked out our newest interview with Aiden McDonough and Devin Levi, who will both be in the NHL sooner rather than later, you can find it on milkisweird.com. Uh, I'm a sober soul. I say glory rose. With some dogs you violate me, they gon' send you home. They'll get you gone.